What's up, the Shaq Bear, outside linebacker, the Tampa Bay Bucks, and you're listening to the Fresh Fantasy Podcast. What is going on, everybody? I hope you're having a great day today. This is Alex from the Fresh Fantasy Podcast. This is the 218th episode. Today, we are talking about overvalued players. Does not mean that we hate the player. We just hate the price. And there are a lot of players right now that I don't really love the price tag of them. Doesn't mean that I would never draft them, but I think they have to go a lot lower for me to be taking them, at least in the fantasy football world. But again, I had to bring in a pretty special guest to maybe talk me out of some of these players, or maybe I could disagree with his and change his takes. But joining me today to break this all down is one of the most recognizable faces in fantasy football. He is a fantasy sports writer and analyst for CBS Sports and a man who is so great that he has a candy bar named after him. With over 70,000 social media followers, he is the one and only Heath Cummings. Welcome back to the show, Heath. Thank you for the kind introduction. Thank you for having me on. Always uh, always enjoy chopping it up with you, Alex. Absolutely. Well, let's let's get right started because I'm excited about this because <laughs> we found out of probably almost any show I've done in the last year, this is probably about the most disagreements that I've had with somebody else. So hopefully maybe I can change your opinion, you can chase mine, we can have a beer after and you know continue talking about some of these overvalued players. But today we're going to talk about one player from each position and at the end we'll talk about our most overvalued player in all of fantasy football as well as Heat's 2023 flag plant the boldest prediction that he believes in but let's start with you heath you are the guest today at the quarterback position who do you think is the most overvalued quarterback in fantasy football right now first off i don't there's not a huge difference between where redraft is on quarterbacks and and where i am on quarterbacks but if there is one i think it's trevor lawrence and it's because i don't know that trevor lawrence's outlook is that much different this year than geno smith's or than Kirk Cousins, guys who performed very similar to him last year. Yes, he added Calvin Ridley. Geno Smith added JSN. Kirk Cousins added Jordan Addison. Um, Now, Lawrence could take that next step, that year three step. I hear a lot of people saying, we just don't count his rookie year against him. Last year was his rookie year because Urban Meyer years don't count. This will be the year two. We get the year two bump. I don't think Lawrence is going to be elite as a rusher by any stretch of the imagination. He maybe does puts up Mahomes numbers as a rusher. I don't think he gets close to that as a passer, though. So I think his ceiling is somewhere around QB5, QB6, which should put him in that same group with the other quarterbacks. I see him getting boosted ahead of someone like Tua. And maybe we'll talk about that in just a minute. I think it's largely based on the the Calvin Ridley thing. And then there was that five-game stretch from Trevor Lawrence last year where he looked like, oh, wow, he's figuring it out. And I hear that stretch cited a lot for what Lawrence is going to do this year. The problem is almost every quarterback that's in our top 15 has one of those five-game stretches. Tua's best stretch, he was on pace for 5,000 yards and 43 touchdowns, and that didn't even include his 469-yard game. Um, I I think Lawrence is a fine low-end QB1, but if I'm drafting a low-end QB1, I'd like to draft him after round 10. So is this your your nice way of saying that Trevor Lawrence is just 10 years younger, Geno Smith and Kirk Cousins. And because he has the 10 years younger, that's why people want to draft him because of the theoretical more upside. I I wouldn't say it quite that far because he does have better pedigree than those guys. Like he was one of the best quarterback prospects that come out in a long time. I just, I don't, 
I don't think fantasy wise, I think he has more upside career wise than, than Gino and cousins for sure. He's much more likely to go win a super bowl and develop into an elite quarterback. I think he has to make too big of a jump to justify where people are drafting him. Yeah. I think the thing that I like about him the most is just the way that he elevated the players around him last year. I mean, he had Kurt, uh, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram, all had a career high in fantasy points last year with Trevor Lawrence. So if he did that for those guys, what is he going to do with Calvin Ridley this year would be my argument and that he's only going to get better in his third year. But I think that you made a lot of good points, but these other guys are adding talent around them as well. Defenses still are all pretty similar outside of maybe Seattle. That's a pretty strong defense. So I think that, that that's a worthy argument. For me, the guy that I'm fading a little bit is Tua. And that's purely just because I like a lot of the quarterbacks that are going around him. Probably the same argument that you made is, why draft Tua Tungo-Vailoa when you can grab Kirk Cousins, Geno Smith, or even Daniel Jones? We're all going after him. Tua averaged, has gone down in rushing yards per game every single year. And his offense outside of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle is pretty non-existent. If an injury happens to one of those guys, I don't know what Tua's going to do, especially because at tight end, there's no more Mike Kosicki. They have Durham Smite starting at tight end. And then their wide receiver three is either going to be a mix of Chosen Anderson Cedric Wilson, or maybe Braxton Berrios. So I think for me, I just don't like the thought that if something happens to Tyreek and Jalen Waddle, that scares me a little bit, where I think some of these other teams have a lot more weapons to rely on should an injury happen. And especially right now when Justin Herbert is only going as the QB7 in drafts, I don't want to be drafting someone like Tua just about 12 to 15 picks later. Yeah, I, I think Tua is definitely a format-specific guy for me. Yeah. In a one quarterback league where I'm making roster moves throughout the year, I don't care about floor. Like the, the arguments about Tua's floor are real. He the yeah. concussion concerns are real. I think you make a good point that if something happens to Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle, that could be a, a real problem. Although Tyreek Hill might just take a fifty percent target share and have three thousand yards. <laughs> I'm not sure. Nobody can guard him. But but I I think in in that format, one quarterback where I'm allowed to make roster moves, I. I, I'm targeting the upside, and I don't know that there are more than three or four quarterbacks who have more passing upside than Tua in that offense with those two wide receivers if they all stay healthy. Maybe more importantly, if Teron Armstead stays healthy. If they can protect Tua and he can stay on the field, I think he could jump into that top four discussion. Now, I think in a two-quarterback league, in a super flex league, even in best ball where you're not making any roster moves, maybe Lawrence makes more sense because I do think Lawrence is safer. But if I'm just shooting for upside, I think Tua has more upside this year than Trevor Lawrence does. That's crazy. Well, what about you taking to the stock that you talked about that, you know, Trevor Lawrence, part of the reason that you don't love him is that the rushing upside. But Tua Tungo-Vailoa has gone down in rushing yards per game every year. He right. averages five rushing yards a game last year. And I can't imagine with the concussions that they're going to be no. encouraging him to run even more. So do you think that maybe his upside is a little bit capped because of that lack of, of rushing upside that we talked about earlier with Lawrence? I think you have to have one of two things yep. to have upside as a quarterback. You've got to have some of that rushing ability or you've got to have the ability to go be the most efficient passer in the NFL. And that's exactly what Tua was when he was healthy last year. Completely. So like if, if he throws the ball 35 times a game and averages better than eight yards per attempt and he can not that I'm saying I think he has more passing talent than Trevor Lawrence. I'm not saying that at all. I just think in that offense with those two wide receivers, his efficiency numbers as a quarterback could be insane, even with a large volume of pass attempts. Completely. Do you think right now, real, real quick, Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill, what, uh, where would you rank them as a duo in the NFL? Like, would you have them above AJ Brown and Devonte Smith or T Higgins and Jamar Chase? Like where do they rank among all wide receiver duos for you? 
that's tough because Tyreek is at the age where we might see a drop off this year. Yeah. But I think based on last year, I think they're the best duo. Okay. I think they're okay. number one. Now, I think there's a, there's a good argument to make that J Chase is going to improve a little bit this year and, and Tyreek's going to fall off a little bit. And so maybe it's those guys or maybe Jordan Addison bursts onto the scene. And it's those guys like this going forward. But I think like based on if they're the same guys they were last year, I think it's Hill and Waddle. Okay. That's really good. I, I like them again. I also agree with you on that, but they are, I think the best duo in football and I don't think there's any way to stop them. Again, if Tua keeps up the efficiency has a high touchdown rate one year. I think anything is possible with him, but what about at the running back position? Where is the first guy for you that you're just saying, I cannot buy in at this price, no matter what. Well, and I, this guy's price is all over the place. So like most recently I saw it in round three, round four in, in, not a best ball format. Obviously, it'd be like round six in best ball because nobody drafts running backs there anymore. Um, but Ken Walker, uh, I I love the big play upside as much as the next guy. I don't get the impression that NFL coaches love those guys as much as we as fantasy analysts do. Like We love to talk about explosive rate, but a lot of times those guys come with what happened to Walker last year. Something like 30% of his runs went for zero or negative yards. They go in and draft a big back who I would expect Zach Charbonnet to take over the short yardage work very early in this rotation. And Charbonnet has a better pass catching profile than Walker does. This it, it helps Walker that he can score from 40 yards away because that might be his only chance to score. I think Charbonnet could be the short yardage red zone back. He could also be the third down back that turns Walker into a trap back. I don't want to draft Ken Walker as a top 25 running back. Wow. Top 25 running back? I do not. Wow. Okay. I, again, I am also off Ken Walker. He was he was probably my runner up for the guy I would have had on this list today. But I think the biggest thing that that people don't talk about enough is the fact that his target share in college was around five percent, almost non-existent. And then in the NFL, he averaged less than two receptions per game last year with probably one of the worst running back rooms in football after Rashad Penny got hurt outside of himself. So I think that I am in complete agreement that drafting a running back in the second round. Uh, definitely does not hint that when this team could be a Super Bowl contender this right. year, that does not say to me, oh, we want to really feed Kenneth Walker. Like, why not just draft another guy for their defense or an offensive lineman to help this team out? Drafting Zach Charbonnet definitely says a lot without saying a lot. Another guy off of that, you know, same breath that got a big contract this past year, deservedly so, but I think it's going to see a lot of downgrades in different areas is Miles Sanders. Fantasy Points pointed out, that Miles Sanders finished dead last among qualifying running backs in percentage of rushing yards gain after contact in both 2021 and 2022. So what does that what does that say to you, Heath? A downgrade in offensive line is not going to help him. If he's not getting right. yard after contact, a worse offensive line, a worse offense is not going to be helping him out. And not having someone like Jalen Hurts to open up the running game for him is not going to help. And they're also have a worse defense, which means less positive game scripts. So to me, I think that Miles Sanders is the perfect like dead zone running back that I just cannot be buying into this year. Do you feel differently than I do? I, I do. I, I struggle. And we had Graham Barfield on uh, fantasy football today, dynasty last week, just to talk about advanced running back stats, because like I've pretty much accepted most of the passing stats, most of the receiving, like all that. I think we're, we have a long ways to go on running backs. And while I do think not producing yards after contact is a red flag, you look at the situations for someone like David Montgomery and Miles Sanders last year. Montgomery, when he was on the Bears, always amongst the tops in broken tackles per attempt. 
because he had three chances to break a tackle before he got to the line of scrimmage. A lot of times nobody touched Miles Sanders until he was 10 yards downfield. It's harder to gain yards after contact when you're not being contacted until so far down the field. So I, I do think the situation is worse. I think the offense is worse. I think the lack of Jalen Hurts will hurt a little bit. I think the Panthers' run blocking is pretty underrated. You look at how efficient Deontay Foreman and Chuba Hubbard were last year. They put up some big numbers. And I, I don't think that what we've seen the last two years from Miles Sanders in the passing game is what we will see in Carolina. The, the, his running back coach, Deuce Staley, was his running back coach early in his career when he was actually involved in the passing game. You mentioned that contract. I tend to value what teams tell us they're going to do with the way they behave in the offseason. Yep. They, they gave Miles Sanders a contract that probably means he's there for at least three years. And I, I expect him to have a, a very good year this year. I think my only my, my only pushback on, on Miles, like what you said about Miles yeah. Sanders with the yards after contact, is I mean, the top five last year were Tony Pollard, Khalil yeah. Herbert, Brees Hall, Nick Chubb, and Tyler Algier. I mean, I would argue that Tony yeah. Pollard, Chubb, and Algier all had pretty dang good offensive that's, lines that's to open up some holes for them. So – but again, it's interesting what you say. But what do you what do you think about Miles Sanders as a pass catcher? If you're in on him a little bit more than I am, do you see like a lot of super high pass catching upside, or do you see more of the guy that you know, according to people on Twitter, had you know one of the worst yards per targets for for running backs, which could hint that maybe he's not yep. that great of a advanced pass catcher as we would like him to be. I have a hard time separating Miles Sanders' pass catching from what running backs have done as pass catchers with Jalen Hurts the first okay. two years in the NFL. Um, I don't think he's going to be exceptional. I don't think he'll be close to the league leaders. I wouldn't be surprised if he catches three passes a game and play if he plays 17 games, finishes up with 50 catches. I think he can be right, probably more likely a 40-catch guy, but not one of the J.K. Dobbins type where the ca- lack of catches are hurting them. Yeah. Um but not someone where it's making a real positive difference. Like, I don't think I have a difference between where I have Sanders ranked in non-PPR and full PPR. I think he'll be pretty right. much a wash in that area. Okay, that's that's really interesting to know. Again, for me, I think the, the final point on me is just, again, the situation, some of the red flags that he didn't have previous season. I think the running back 20 mm-hmm. price in some formats for me is just a little bit too rich. Don't hate the player, just hate the situation. But what about wide receiver? Again, who's the first person that comes to mind that, just overvalued that you don't like. And he's like, well, I will preface this by saying, like, I, I don't understand this one. Yeah. Well, I don't understand <laughs> how, yeah. Um, how it happened in the first place, I guess I was thinking I was, I almost said my, my most overvalued player overall. And uh, that was somebody different. So uh, at wide receiver, who was the name that I gave you that is not the other wide receiver, Jerry, Judy, Jerry, Judy. Yes. Um, it's a completely new coaching staff. And I I know that Judy's going to outperform Cortland Sutton, but they are talking about Cortland Sutton running Michael Thomas routes. Russell Wilson was mostly terrible last year. Um, there's no attachment with the coaching staff to the player. I just, I don't think he's guaranteed a huge volume of targets. There's obviously a little bit of concern about him staying on the field as it has been early in his career. And I think this could be a really bad offense. Yeah, completely. Um, and I, and last I saw Judy was like around four pick. Like that's, 
that's a, a pretty surefire starting number two wide receiver. I think he has upside. I think he's the best wide receiver on the Broncos, but he seems to me with the profile of the offense and the profile of the player, somebody we would generally view as like a boom bust number three wide receiver. This guy could really outperform his cost, but we recognize that there are a lot of risks there involving him and the team around him. Yeah, I think that where I would go with with Jerry Judy is last year, I don't think the situation could have been much worse. Yeah, I mean, Russell Wilson was really bad. The coaching staff was really bad. The whole the scheme and everything that they were doing was just not good as a whole. And he still find a way, found a way to finish as a top twenty four wide receiver. Obviously, finish does not equal points per game. You know, correlation does right. not always equal causation. But Jared Smola of Draft, Draft Sharks pointed out that you know Judy got hurt in a couple games and he had to miss yep. miss some time. So if you just you know take the games that he played you know over 50 or 60 percent of the snaps that he was healthy he was like the wide receiver 13 in fantasy football last year yeah. i mean he was elite against man coverage he led the nfl in yards per route run against man coverage which is a nice little fun jerry judy stat but i think the most important thing for me is just the fact that i think that this is just a pure upgrade at coaching staff and that sean payton offenses every year outside of his last year in new orleans were a top 13 scoring offense yeah no, yeah, it's it it's we've seen it go both ways the last couple of years with these coaches and they go into a situation and it's either a lot better or it just completely goes yep. up in flames. And I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure. And it doesn't sound like like Sean Payton's fine with just running Russell Wilson out there for a year. And if he's not any good, we'll we'll move on because he's going to be there a lot longer than Russell Wilson. So, yeah, I, I think there's lots of upside for Judy. I don't think there's as much upside for him at a wide receiver 20 cost in round four. Okay, that is a that is a fair point with just the cost getting a little bit too rich. The guy for me that's going right next to Jerry Judy mm-hmm. that I will you know not be touching with a 10-foot pole, unfortunately, as he goes way down the draft boards, DeAndre Hopkins. The biggest reason I do not like DeAndre Hopkins is the fact that this Titans team has been bottom seven in pass attempts Every year under Mike Vrabel, that's been their identity and that has never changed no matter what personnel they've had. And over the last 10 years, there have been just eight wide receivers to finish top 12 that came from these teams that are bottom seven in pass attempts. And then when you factor in the fact that Hopkins is over 30 years old, this is still a new team, a new coaching staff, and he didn't sign with the Titans until very, very recently. So when you have under 60 days to prepare, new team, new quarterback, 30 years old, and the fact that he's playing on a low-volume passing team, that's just way too many red flags for me at wide receiver 21 for me to be taking him in drafts. Yeah, I, I'm pretty much uh, agnostic on DeAndre Hopkins. Like, I don't imagine – I think there are going to be enough people that like him more than I am that I'm not going to end up drafting him that much. Yep. He's not on my bust list, though. Like he, I was prepared for him to be, and then when he signed with the Titans, I really was looking into what he did last year. We have no indication. I don't believe he's lost a step. He played four games with Kyler Murray and averaged 21 fantasy points per game. He averaged 1.99 yards per route run for the whole season, and 60% of his targets came from Colt McCoy and somebody else, not named Kyler Murray. Um, I, I, so I, I don't really want to bet against him because he's such an elite player. But you're right. The situation's pretty awful. The only way the situation works out is if Traylon Burks and Chig both just completely bust. And if Hopkins is at his best, that probably it might probably happens. The Tannehill probably throws 30% of his passes to Hopkins like every other quarterback he's played with decided to do. But it is it's it's a uh, it's it's tougher because that offense does profile so bad. 
completely. And I think one of the things that you you pointed out that I want to agree with is the fact that he hasn't fallen off. I'm, right. I'm not saying that this is like an anti DeAndre Hopkins and he's not the same player he's watched. No, it's just purely the red flags that there there are too many things that are going to have to go right. Right. For him just to have like a complete lack of upside, I think, where he's going right now. And it's just going to take a little bit too much for me to be buying him right now where he's going. If he's a wide receiver 30 range, okay, it's DeAndre Hopkins going a little bit lower. But right now, right around the wide receiver 20 range, right next to my good friend Jerry Judy, yeah. I mean, that's just not a place I'm willing to go. But what, a, what about tight end? Like who is the guy in particular that you're fading right now at cost of the tight end position? Okay, now I will go with the older player who was hurt last year. <laughs> who still had some elite efficiency metrics. It's Darren Waller. Um, I mean, first off, it's a 31-year-old tight end who's missed 14 games over the last two years due to injury. Changing teams, going to a quarterback who's, I don't think he's thrown for more than 15 touchdown passes in the last three years in a, in a season. His career high is 3,200 passing yards. I just, I think it's a, I think as in terms of passing, not in terms of fantasy, Daniel Jones is a better fantasy quarterback than Derek Carr. But I do think it's a downgrade in terms of passer going from Carr to Daniel Jones. I think it's probably a downgrade in terms of total offense, passing offense, um, and touchdown opportunity. And then there's enormous risk with somebody that age going to a new team. Yep, completely. I, I think I'm I'm with you and I'm not with you. Like, I think that part of me, similar to like we just talked about with DeAndre Hopkins, yeah. is like I don't hate the player. Like, again, like I really want him to, but again, you talk about Daniel Jones with, you know, where he has been with, you know, passing touchdowns, passing yards. Is Darren Waller going to elevate that? Of course he is. But still, again, we talk about the thing over 30 years old. He's changing teams with a historically low volume passing quarterback. It's not like Daniel Jones has been in the NFL for two years. I mean, this is right. going to be, you know, his fifth or sixth season now. So, again, I just. I don't know. I can't. I can't buy in. What is the price right now where you would be buying Darren Waller? How far would he have to fall in drafts? He would need to be a uh, like tight end nine range. Okay. I would. I'd rather draft uh, Muth, Fryermuth, and I'd rather draft uh, David Njoku. Okay, those are two two guys that you would draft over him. I like yeah. that. For me, the guy that I have to fade, and it's not because he burned me so badly in, in drafts <laughs> last year, is Kyle Pitts. And I just think that again, it's just a thing that the talent is not you know like the talent is right there for where he's going at cost but the situation just could not be worse similar to deandre hopkins i mean last year fantasy points pointed out that the falcons had just 17 catchable passes per game and if you improve that by 25 percent, the improvement would just be you know 21 catchable passes per game which was 29th in the nfl and now they have desmond ritter who actually led the nfl in off target throw percentage which just says to me that this is going to still be a lower volume passing team. Even if they increase a lot, they're still going to be in the bottom five or seven teams. Drake London is, I think, one of the most talented receivers yep. in the NFL, which is going to take away some targets. They add in Bijan Robinson eighth overall, and now you look at Kyle Pitts, and maybe he doesn't see the same you know 30% target rate that he did last year with an inaccurate quarterback in a low-volume passing offense. Again, if Matt Ryan was here, I'd be like, draft Kyle Pitts all day, every day, twice on Sundays. But again, situation, I'm not willing to buy, buy Kyle Pitts this year. Yeah, I, I'm, again, kind of in the middle on this one. I think I'm right at where he's being drafted. I, I haven't actually drafted him yet because I'm usually taking Kelsey or I'm waiting till round eight or nine and taking Firemuth or, or Najoku. But I... I do think he probably still gets the close to 30% target share. Okay. And I I think Taylor Heineke has a slightly higher floor than what Mariota gave us last year. And Agreed. Ritter was slightly, like they threw the ball. They trusted Ritter to throw it a little bit more than they did Mariota. So I, I think the situation, like 
Could it be worse? Yeah, it could be what it was when Kyle Pitts was healthy last year and Marcus Mariota was throwing to him. But it's still a very bad situation, and I agree with you. I don't I don't necessarily believe that Pitts will earn as many targets as London. I think London's probably the number one, and Pitts is a, a 1B. Um, but it's also tight end, and so it's, it's hard to fade somebody as young and talented as he is. Completely, and I'm with that. It, also, I would say if, if right now – well, I had a magical genie sitting next to me as we're recording this, and he said that Taylor Heineke is going to play not, start nine games this year. I'd like draft Kyle Pitts because yeah. I actually think that like Taylor Heineke will elevate this offense, and they'll have to pass a little bit more than they would with Desmond Ritter. This is more of a personal attack, unfortunately, uh, against Desmond Ritter for me, and less of a knock against Kyle Pitts himself. Again, talent elite right. situation, similar to the Titans just not a team that I like to draft a lot for fantasy in terms of pass catchers. But what about overall? We talked about someone from each position, but who is the one avoid more than anybody right now for you in fantasy football drafts? Well, and we'll see how true this remains because he got hurt yesterday, but Kadarius Tony um, already dinged up, was not at practice on the second day of camp. And I didn't understand his ADP at all before the injury. Um, we're talking about a guy who, not just because of injuries, but has had a really hard time being a full-time player in the NFL. When he has gotten the opportunity, he's gotten hurt more often than not. And yes, it's a wide open in terms of wide receiver targets, but Travis Kelsey's still going to to haul in 25% of the targets, and, and they're going to spread the ball around like they did last year. I just don't think the reward with Tony was ever worth the risk at his cost, and I don't really think he should be drafted in the single-digit rounds. Completely. Do you think that uh, in for, for a wide receiver that you're looking to draft in those middle rounds, do you think five targets is a lot? No, 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 no. Five no. targets is not a lot, yeah. right? Kadarius Tony in his career games has hit five targets in 31% of his games. Yeah. Five targets. It's not seven or eight. I know he's had a couple. Like, I mean, again, human highlight reel. It's Kadarius Tony, but he doesn't command targets. And I think the fact someone pointed this out on Twitter, that's really interesting in terms of like reading between the lines with the team is the fact that he got hurt catching punts. Yeah. You know, what, what players right now are top 12 at their fantasy position and are taking all the team's punt returns and, and kick returns. Yeah, I'm no, it's, clear. it's, it's real. And it's not like you said something and I think people might push back on it. He doesn't command targets. He does on a per route basis. The problem is yeah. he doesn't even, he doesn't command routes. He can't yeah. get on the field okay. to run. He That's can't get point. on the field to run the routes. Um, and I think what that tells us is, and this is where we get in trouble with, with some of the advanced stats, like targets per route runs generally a pretty good indicator, but if it's only high because they only play you when they're planning on throwing you the ball, then I, then I don't think it's quite as good of an in indicator. I, I'm pretty concerned that he's just a nothing burger this year. Completely. And I think one of the, again, the other thing that you mentioned is again, not commanding routes targets yeah. is incorrect. I think his target per route run rate is around 27%, which is elite for a wide receiver, but he's, I don't think he even hit 50% of the snaps in any game for Kansas city last year. Right. I don't really see why I know, again, I know the situation and all the wide receivers they have aren't great, but I don't think that he's going to get there for me. It's Debo Samuel. Again, do not hate the player. I cannot say that enough. I just hate the situation for Debo Samuel. The 49ers, similar to the Titans, have been in the bottom seven of pass attempts in three of the last four years. The only year that they weren't, they had the, one of the worst three or four defenses in the NFL, and I think right now they have one of the best defenses in the NFL. But right now, Debo Samuel is going as the wide receiver 18. He finished inside the top 20 receivers in just three games last year, and he's playing on a team that has a top four tight end, 
a top two running back in fantasy football, and another wide receiver in Brandon Ayuk, who's going three or four rounds later than him. So when you bring in a seventh round QB that was a rookie last year, which again, he could be awesome, but again, that red flag, plus all the competition for targets, I just don't understand the wide receiver 18 price on Debo Samuel. Again, talent-wise, he's top 10. Situation-wise, to me, he is not even close to being in the top 20. Yeah, I'll feel better about Debo once Purdy's fully cleared. Yep. And I do think there's at least one bust here. I'm, I wonder if maybe it's Kittle because Kittle's production with Purdy was almost entirely touchdowns. He had some really miserable catch and yardage production. We have seen a lot of stuff this summer from Debo himself and everybody else talking about how good Brandon Ayuk looks, but it's been pretty cut and dry for those two wide receivers when they've been on the field together. If the other team's playing man, Brandon Ayuk gets the targets. If the other team's playing zone, Debo does, and and teams play a lot more zone than man. So I think I'm I, I, that three to four round difference, I don't know. I, I think it seems about right to me. I do think that all of the 49ers pass catchers are in real risk if everybody stays healthy. The other side is that those guys have never all stayed healthy. Completely. And again, maybe this is the year that they do. And, right. and again, Debo Samuel is, is still exciting. And if he plays right. 17 games and one of those other guys gets hurt, that's fine. But again, there's just no team in the NFL that has that many elite weapons. And for me, I would rather just take someone like Brandon Ayuk at cost. But you made a yeah. lot of good points about you know where they see targets versus the coverages. One other fun stat real quick on George Kittle. Of the last 10 years, he posted the lowest amount of targets for a top three tight end. He's the only tight end in the last decade to hit to be a top three tight end and not hit 90 targets. Yeah. That is just unreal efficiency for George Kittle. But Heath, the one final thing that we got to talk about today is your 2023 flag plant. We've talked a lot about it, guys, that you don't like for this season, but maybe you have something positive for us or some more negativity. What is your 2023 <laughs> flag plant, the player you believe in more than anybody else? Yeah, this is tough because like the, the answer was really clear and didn't seem like it should be a flag plant because he finished RB3 last year. But like my my flag plant all summer has been that Josh Jacobs is undervalued, that there's not a big discount between Derek Carr and Jimmy Garoppolo, and that Jacobs should probably be one of the first two running backs drafted. Now, the fact that he's leaving the team and doesn't appear to want to uh, play with these guys anymore, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a group flag plant instead i'll pivot <laughs> off of josh jacobs until he returns to las vegas i do want to know where he, where he's going like he made this big show of leaving the day they're starting practice like are you just flying somewhere and then flying back what's what, where are you where are you josh um my flag plan is that the the 2022 class of receivers is going to explode and it's not just the garrett wilson and chris olave that everyone's talking about I think we'll see John Dotson. I think we'll see Drake London. I think we'll see Christian Watson, all five of those guys inside of the top 24 wide receivers at the end of this year. Wow. I, I really I really like that. If you had to pick one of Jahan Dotson right now or Drake London at cost, who are you taking? Because I think those are the two lowest priced players. So if they're all finishing right. top 24, like, I mean, again, I think Drake London is the wide receiver 22 right now. Mm -hmm. So I think who, who would you be drafting at cost right now between Dotson and Drake London? At cost, it's pretty easily Dotson yeah. for me because the cost yeah. is so significantly different. I'm not sure the quarterback play is going to be any better for London. I think the pass attempts will be higher. And I think Dotson can earn just as many targets across from Terry McCoy 
McLaurin as London can across from Kyle Pitts. So it'd be Dotson at cost for sure. So are you a, are you a believer in this this Commanders offense? New ownership is just going to change change everything. Maybe a team name change also could uh, could open the doors for Jahan Dotson. I I'm a believer in those two wide receivers and okay. what they did with what I think was worse quarterback play last year than they're going to have this year. That's a good point. And I'm a believer in the upside. I I don't know for sure uh, this Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid relationship and who was doing what. But it's kind of annoyed me that everyone's just acted like Eric Bieniemy doesn't get any credit for the things that happen in Kansas City. Like there's a lot of other offensive coordinators who have had far less success, who have changed teams, and we've just elevated everybody that was on the team because they got this mind. I think Bieniemy might be that guy. I really hope he is that guy. That would be really awesome for it. Again, as someone that is drafting a lot of Antonio Gibson right now, I would love yes. to see that for this offense, have them open him up. And again, Jarek McKinnon can finish top 24. Why are we not taking Antonio Gibson a lot higher in fantasy football drafts? But we'll digress from there. Heath, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show today. You guys have a lot of great content right now coming out at CBS Sports. So where can the people find you, all your work, and everything you got going on for the next couple of months? Yeah, you can find all my articles at cbssports.com on the fantasy football page. The newest thing we've got going on, the thing I'm most excited about right now, we just launched last week, Fantasy Football Today Dynasty, the podcast. You can find that wherever you find podcasts. I'd love it if you checked it out. Absolutely. He's handsome. He's talented. And he hates Jerry Judy. He is Heath Cummings. I am Alex Caruso. This is another episode of the Fresh Fantasy Podcast. Don't forget to turn the bell notifications on for new episodes coming out every single 